Miracles, miracles, saints' lives on a scale unimagined by us at the house of Ravel. And welcome back to House of Revels, the Theatre Through the Ages podcast. I'm Mingma. And I'm Olivia. And we are theatre practitioners taking you on a journey through the history of theatre in Britain, from naught to now. Each episode, we discuss a different theatre style, its context, origin and form. And then we score said theatre style in four different categories. Finally, we decided the style deserves to join the esteemed House of Revels, the great and noble hall where only the best of British theatre lives. This week we are discussing a miracle plays. Miracle plays! Alright, Liv, this sounds rather miraculous. What exactly are miracle plays? Okay, so miracle plays are also known as saints plays, and they were a type of religious drama which presented the lives, miracles wink wink and martyrdom of saints the earliest recorded english miracle play is the ludos di sancta caterina performed at dunstable circa 111 111 no. how do you say no. that again <laughs> Sorry. it's these it's the 1100s i really hate them because they really throw me they don't look like dates but it's performed at dunstable circa 1101 no 1100 it's just 1100 okay the earliest recorded english miracle play is the ludosti sancta caterina performed at dunstable circa 1100 so in general we're talking about miracle plays in england they're popular between the 13th and the 16th century um as we shall see they go out of fashion uh during the reformation um because Mm, of course those damn protestants i know like literally where's it all gone um, Party Bieber. So, similar to many forms of religious drama, miracle plays are not exclusive to England and the British Isles, and there were many miracle plays of European origin, some of which I will go into in today's podcast because the French ones are good too. So, that's a short of miracle plays. So, miracle plays, plays about saints. Nice. Yeah, pretty, pretty badass. Yeah, I'm hoping for some miraculous sleight of hand on this then. This um, be fun. Well, okay, just, just to stop there. Yeah. We'll, we'll hope. Context. Here we discuss the current day events. As this form developed, what else was going on in history? What social, economic, political events might affect performance? Okay, so I feel like we've talked about the 1100s a lot. Um, I think we all know what's happening in the 1100s. But for those of us who haven't listened to this before and want a brief recap, here are the things that happened. So I'm going to do this horrible history style even though I've never actually seen it but I imagine it was very fast and punchy so we've got William of Normandy conquering England in 1066 his son William II took the throne but died in a hunting accident paving the way for his younger brother Henry I when he died we had the anarchy disputes between Henry's cousin Stephen and Henry's daughter the Empress Matilda eventually Matilda's son Henry II became king and his wife was Eleanor of Aquitaine and they were a badass power couple we had the feudal sister castles everywhere we've got courtney love we've got the matter of britain we've got warm climates and we've gotten an increase of people for someone who doesn't watch horrible histories that was a remarkable imitation of what they do is it did i just transform into all those little bearded men all of the men Uh, (laughs) all of the men that's basically it we're kind of focusing a little bit on henry the first today um 
and the kind of more of the Norman influence because as we will see, miracles span a long period of time. So we're going to be talking about a couple of things. So the most important context for this episode is the cults of saints. Saints were incredibly important figures in the church. They were like celebrities or superheroes. As a result, their lives and afterlives were written as hagiographies um, and told as sermons. And they were also written as plays, as we shall see. So a famous hagiography is The Golden Legend by the Italian Jacobus de Vagrin. He wrote The Golden Legend, which was widely read through Europe, and it was written in simple, easy-to-read Latin. So each chapter in this is about a different saint or Christian festival, and we have more than a thousand manuscripts of this, and it was kind of compiled in the years 1259 to 1266. And he's obviously not the only person to be writing and talking about saints, but that's just a really good example. We've got a thousand manuscripts have survived, so you can Mm. see how popular it was. We had these cult images, so uh, images depicting the events of their lives with a focus of prayer and pilgrimage. Um, so every church had images or paintings or stained glasses, stained glass windows of the Virgin Mary and saints. As I, as I said here, Mingma, I'm sure you have many anecdotes about going to a church and seeing some saints in a stained glass window or a famous... Yeah, I mean, I think when I was nine, I... Um my dad was incredibly pleased that we came back from a tour around Europe and I came back and immediately started drawing my own version of a cathedral (laughs) we might put it on social media actually I probably can find the picture somewhere I bet it's going to be really good I'm not surprised if you're well you are very talented with um I'm really not good at drawing no it's it's not that's fair enough anyway so the saints depicted ranged from popular ones e.g St Christopher or St Catherine to lesser known saints Um, and sometimes the veneration the honouring of saints of a particular saint was specific to a town or region so quite often regions and towns and people had their own kind of saint of that area they also had uh, the patron saints of Mm -hmm. and um, so the patron saint of the arts or the patron saint of music and I think there's one who's the uh, who's the patron saint of broken promises we have in middle english we have lives of almost about 300 saints and there's basically just loads of saints Mingma. i think it's almost excessive the number of saints we have you so sound like you're agreeing with martin luther mm, uh, that's an interesting point so saints started off is mainly people from the early christian faith who were martyred so people who refused to renounce christianity during the roman empire and they refused to convert and then they were killed bloody bloody blah particularly popular were the virgin martyred saints you can kind of really see how this is a popular thing because actually at the end of the day as as i kind of thought about it it's like you've got rebellious teenage girls kind of choosing their own sexual destiny in a way, even though they're kind of staying virgins and maybe you don't go that, but they're kind of deciding, actually, no, this is what I'm doing with my body and I'm not conforming to this and I would rather die and be married to Christ than this is my calling. So basically at this time we have the rebellious teenage girls who are refusing sex and you have the rebellious teenage boys who are talking about nothing but sex. I mean, yes, I mean, not quite at the same time. Does this not sound modern? (laughs) Not quite the same because we're talking about these rebellious teenage girls being kind of saints and martyred from like previous times. But you do have this idea of actually people worshipping these rebellious teenage girls, which actually I think is quite a fun way to put saints. Yeah. So for example... Um, And this is a really good example of a saint who was a little bit fictionalised as well. So, St Margaret, she was proposed to by Olibrius, the governor of the Roman diocese of the East, on the condition 
that she refused her Christianity. He was like, say no to Christianity. She refused to marry him and to renounce Christianity. She was tortured and swallowed by Satan in the form of a dragon. Inside the dragon, she made the shape of a cross. The dragon exploded and she emerged from the dragon triumphant. And she's believed to help women in childbirth because she emerged from a dragon. Sounds really like Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah, like she gets eaten by, um, by a wolf dragon. But that's the kind of idea. So you have these... When was this story, roughly? Oh, um, I th- want to say like 400s. I'm going to look it up. I did look it up. Uh, Margaret of... Because I can't remember when um, the Greek Orthodox Church broke off. And it might be something to do with the different swathes of Christianity all fighting. 1200s, in answer to your question. Nice. So we have these this kind of cult of saints, of people worshipping saints, saints being a big deal. And to give an example, we've got these pilgrimages um, mm. where people kind of going to connect more with Christianity and look at relics. Pilgrimages increased from the 4th century to the late 11th century and included all classes of people, princes, bishops, common men and women. Um, and there are many hospices set up in the valley of the, um, the Danube where travellers could replenish. In 1026, Richard, abbot of St. Vans, led 700 pilgrims into Palestine at the expense of Richard II, Duke of Normandy. And in 1065, 12,000 Germans travelled across Europe to Palestine under Gunther, Bishop of Bamberg. So you can see just how popular um, not only the Christian religion, but this idea of connections with holy things and connections with saints and connections with relics had mm. kind of come during the... Um, well, 11th century during this time 12th century yeah the modern pilgrimage routes nowadays mm. which are still open when you ask people on the route why they're going on this pilgrimage very rarely it's na- it's to do with uh religion and with faith it's quite often about other things about wanting to find mm. yourself or about wanting to experience mm. a certain thing and i wonder how much that might have been the case nowadays not nowadays mm. then <laughs> actually it's a really popular route that you not kind of like um you know, like how we go on nature walks or nature trails. It's like, actually, it's a famous mm. long distance walk that you can do. Yeah. That has been, is popular. I think it'll be a really interesting episode actually mm. to talk about that and the stories which you pick up from the pilgrimage routes mm. on, on, on the way. Yeah, Robert McFarlane writes some amazing uh, books, which I recommend, about the way that walks and landscape have been intertwined and stories and, and everything into kind of like the route which you take on this idea of a quest, a journey through story i had Mm. another conversation actually with an academic recently who slightly berated me for trying to go on my lost discovery of our of our old Mm. english myth and she's and uh, she said you must remember that all of the stories which are passed down are so intertwined with christianity not because someone is trying to Mm. fake it or because christianity imposed but because christianity has been utterly part of our culture and our Mm. heritage and these kind of stories for so long that they have yeah. naturally melded with the stories. And so it's interesting, again, hearing that story of the saints' lives. And I wonder, um, perhaps we should be looking far more into these old stories of this time to look for our mm. for our older stories. But also not just dismiss them because they exactly. are religious at this point. Because actually But actually there a, are all yeah. these stories in, in the sense of, like in the Golden Legend, like he gives in each chapter to the life and miracles of a saint and so people knew these stories and and as i said like you know i mean if you take saint margaret the the dragon woman that's obviously not something that happened i mean i don't think anyone's gonna shoot me for suggesting that dragons aren't real but 
do you know what I mean? It's that that interplay between a kind of I guess going back to what we always like to talk about of is it's truth versus moral. It's like actually the the history, you know, the history of it's not so important, but it's what you take away from it. So I guess it kind of plays into the saints thing yeah. of like it's not so important what the actual story is unless you kind of take the moral of the story. I mean, they knew how to mm. tell a good yarn, uh, but the importance was not what actually happened. The importance mm. was the message you took from it. And frankly, you take better messages yeah. and better stories. The definition of what we've been I saying. Think so. Exactly, that's literally what we've been saying. It's like, the better the story, the better the message. Um, I mean, yeah, if you look at... Yeah. I mean, I know we've already talked about Arthur, but if you look at Arthur and all that... All that malarkey. So, t- uh, to sum up context then main context is that this really is coming for about 300 years of history miracle plays began around the 1150s 1200s and then went straight through all the way to the reformation where it was absolutely suppressed at that point uh miracle plays are very much about retelling saints lives and saints lives and the story to do with saint li- saints lives had a real cultural resonance quite often certain areas would have specific saints certain trades would have patron saints it was all part of worship quite often there were pilgrimages to places of import for certain saints and this was an enormous movement of this time origins this is the section where we discuss the origins of the theatre style. We trace its beginnings and what influenced its development. So, Liv, original origin. Give us a Okay, few so the original origin. So, you're going to have to stick with me on the origin section, Ingmar, because I've been a little bit sneaky. So, we're talking religious plays, we're talking liturgical drama, or are we talking liturgical drama? Mm. Actually, there's very little evidence to suggest that these plays... Um, a kind of direct result of the evolution of early liturgical drama. So in our Anglo-Saxon liturgical drama, we talked about the Quaim Quiratis, um, but actually there's not much evidence that this is like an evolution. If we think about, um, I know people talk, we've talked about this before, it's not, it's not like we can neatly go, this influenced this, which influenced this, and now we have modern theatre. Even though it's very tempting to say, oh, saints' lives came from this, we don't have that much evidence. It's actually really funny because when I was doing this research, a lot of the academic writing on it is written about 120 years ago in like the early 20th century. So even though you're you're like mm-hmm. reading something that's from like 1904 and you're like, this is this is useful, but it's also you've got that disconnect with the. It also Mind yeah, there was like a 92 yes. page document I read all about the theory of origins for miracle plays, and I was like, I just need to I just need to get through it anyway. Um, but George, <laughs> Dr. George Kaufman, he's written extensively on the subject of miracle plays. If anyone's interested, his work, a new theory on the origin of the miracle play, is available online for free, so you can read that 92 page document. But he basically suggests that the miracle plays originated in connection with musical services during the latter part of the 10th century as an unecclesiastical feature of the feast day celebrations and that they are indebted to the medieval Latin hymn for their form. So as we've already talked about, saints were celebrated and given particular days. So if you think about St. Valentine's Day, 14th of February, that's the day of St. Valentine. Um, So you would have had a feast celebrating and honouring the anniversary of their passions. So... There would have been these feasts Mm. celebrating these saints. There would have been some music performed. There would have been kind of all sorts of celebration happening. And Kaufman suggests that these miracle plays are kind of came from these celebration days. 
rather than maybe coming from a sermon or coming from something like that. So that's kind of one of the strongest um, suggestions of their origin. Now, I've been a bit cheeky because I've put an origin of the English miracle plays as actually the French miracle plays, which is a little bit sneaky. I know, I know you look at me like, mm. Mm. but actually mm-hmm. in England, if we're looking at, because we're looking at English theatre, um, the first recorded miracle play in England, the, as I mentioned, the Ludus de Sancta Catharina, was written by Geoffrey de Gorham, and he was Norman French. There's very much this idea of actually Norman plays and Norman playwrights influencing English miracle play. To kind of give a little bit more information, so Geoffrey was from the province of Maine, which was annexed to the dukedom of Normandy. He was invited to become the master of the Abbey of St Albans School, but was delayed and fell. <laughs> and when he got here, they'd appointed someone else, um, which I think is a little bit shady, but never mind. So he opened a school at Dunstable. And he wrote this miracle play, St. Catherine, the play of St. Catherine. Um, and we only actually know about the play of St. Catherine because he borrowed some um, copes, which are like these long cloaks worn by members of the clergy, from the St. Albans Abbey for the performance. And he lost them, along with his books, in a fire at his house during the night after the performance. So we only know about the miracle play because we have a record of this fire and him losing the copes for the miracle play. The wildness of the after party that meant his yeah. house burnt down afterwards. <laughs> yeah, or just coming back to your house after doing this great play and walking in and your house is just on fire. To make up for this loss, he decided to become a monk of St Albans Abbey. So he was like, I can never, I want to repent for losing these precious copes. What date is this? This is, well, circa 1100. The reason he wrote this play then is because the cult of St. Catherine was huge during the 10th and the 11th centuries in France and Western Europe. Um, Catherine Thomas suggests that the miracle play that he wrote, like other works regarding St. Catherine and Normandy in England, was created to please William the Conqueror and Henry I of England. Um, And William the Conqueror and Henry I kind of introduced this honouring of St. Catherine to England and Henry I was responsible for its spread and popularity. So he... Henry I was associated with this honouring of Catherine. What is St. Catherine known for? So she was um, really smart, really intelligent, knew a lot about philosophy, mm-hmm. um, but believed in Christ. Persecutions of the Christians began. She went to talk to the Emperor Maximilian and defend Christianity. He was like, you're too smart for me. He put her in prison. He got some philosophers to come and argue with her. She basically bested them and convinced him that Christ was right. That's the English origin. So what is the French? The first French miracle play is the play of St. Nicholas by Jean Baudel. Jean Baudel. We mentioned him last episode. We mentioned him in the Matter of Britain, didn't we? In the Matter of Britain, two yeah. episodes ago. Yeah. Um, and this play of St. Nicholas tells the story of St. Nicholas, a bishop saint from Myra, who was extremely popular in the East, when his relics were transferred um, from Myra to Bari in southern Italy in 1087. He became a popular saint in the West as well. Um, Basically, his play is all about the conversion of Muslims via the miracle of St. Nicholas. And him him dropping money down the chimney so that... Preventing women from going into kind of unladylike professions. And we've also got The Miracle of Theophilus by Ruth Buff in the second half of the 13th century. Um, but the important thing to note, actually, so we've got these two miracle plays in France, that in the 14th century, the vast majority of miracle plays written were about the Virgin Mary. So there's um, the miracles of Our Lady with dramatic characters, or in French, miracles de Notre Dame par personnages. I mean, I cannot speak French. 
Um, and, and this is a collection of 40 miracles all about the Virgin Mary. So in 14th century mm. France, the Virgin Mary is very popular. So we do have miracle plays in France as well. So in terms of origin then, there doesn't seem to be much stylistic evolution from the Quiam Quietis mm. and from the... Um, uh, and from mimic plays and obscene antics of the mm-hmm. Babio episode. Uh, this does seem to be a different, more anthropological evolution from mm-hmm. feast days and from one, and from celebrations at that time. Really, we see the first evidence in England of these miracle plays um, from 1100, where uh, William the Conqueror and Henry I were very important about bringing over, in some ways, their own culture and uh, the patron saint, particularly Catherine. Whereas in France, uh, St. Nicholas was very popular and uh, there was much more to do with the Virgin Mary and the idea and the veneration of the Virgin. Yeah, that literally covers all of it. You could That's what you could have said for the whole of the origins thing. Onwards to it. It always sounds like we're about to do five children and it. Five anyway. children and it, yeah. Children and it. So Liv, what are the main features of this theatre style? So as we said, the miracle plays, if you haven't clocked already, are plays concerning the lives of saints. Um, they were often performed outside. So we know um, in Basingbourne on July 20th, 1511, it was there was a miracle play held in a field about St George, and in Coventry in Warwickshire in 1490 and 1504 to 1505, um, there was a play about St Catherine and St Christian in the Little Park outside. So this is, we've sorry, we've just jumped 300 years. Yeah, so this is the thing. This is the issue we come up with. Miracle plays were popular throughout such a wide period of time. We know they start at this point, and then there's lots of um, other ones that happen. Um, so we're kind of giving a really big overview of the miracle plays. Like, we we have this Ludosti Sancta Catharina, and then I think the next one we have evidence for is... Well, we have some evidence in the 1200s that they're being performed in London. Um, but the most, the most of our knowledge mm-hmm. about miracle plays unfortunately comes from the 16th and 15th century. So even though we know they were a thing... Most okay. of what we got like written down, mm-hmm. um, and that's actually a really important note. Sorry, I know I'm going a bit com- complicated here. Is that miracle plays weren't really filed and organised as much as say uh, another religious drama, which we'll talk about, like mystery plays. So they weren't seen as as official. So we don't have that mm-hmm. much rec- that that greater record of them. So that's why we're jumping quite a bit in time. Um, so we know that, and also I'm guessing that once they were done, they might well have just been done in the same form for 300 years. It wasn't that it's a... Uh, yeah. yeah, it's, this is a very, and also it's a very general term. I mean, a miracle play is a play concerning the life of saints. So we've got these instances that they were performed outside. Um, and I'll explain a little bit more about the staging later and you'll see probably why they were performed outside because it's pretty impressive. Um, yeah, so they, so they're, about saints' lives, performed outside. Performance of the plays seem to be um, the projects of the parish or religious guild, each likely to have possessed a saint as its patron, like we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and most saints' plays probably written for the staging at the patronal festival of a church. Um, and a nice thing here as well is they weren't just exercises of religious teachings. And so, for example, the St. George skits, plays and pageants, which were widely distributed, are likely to be presented as entertainment. And some of them may have even been unscripted. So we're talking about improvised saints plays here. Mm, oh. Improv. Yeah. Got to enjoy. Got to enjoy. And 
even though that they're not the only things that are happening, they appear to be the most widespread form of theatre in Great Britain. Um, we've got plays on the lives of about 50, saint, 50 saints, including 100 recorded incidents of performance. So that's quite a lot of wow. things. Yeah, 50 mm. saints, 100 you're remembering of that we, uh, this is only the stuff recorded. There's always this exactly. thing of what survived, what didn't. So if there's... What one hundred recording? That must be a hundred thousand, which were actually done. Mm. Exactly, exactly. And also, we're talking about the Reformation is going to come up, and they de- got rid of a lot of these plays that were oh. they weren't seen as. So the actual plays that survive are um, kind of uh, one of the, the plays is about Mary Magdalene. They're very, they're not so fantastical. Put it that way. They're pretty true to the scriptures. So actually, there could have been a lot more plays that we just don't know about because a they were just scandal. systematically destroyed. Yeah, a lot yeah. more scandalous. The Clarks in London um, presented miracle plays as early as eleven seventy. So we know that miracle plays were happening in London in eleven seventy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only last thing to talk about are the actual plays that have survived so i know we've said that there were many went extinct um went extinct that's not was systematically destroyed systematically destroyed um so in english we have three miracle play so in middle english three miracle plays survive in completion all from east anglia um so we've got the conversion of saint paul the digby mary magdalene play and the croxton play of the sacrament and in middle cornish we have one complete play saint Maria Sec or Benyans Mary Sec, um, which is about a saint that I'd never heard of. He seems to be a very regional saint. He was regional to an area in Cornwall, so I don't know if he's a he's a, a Cornish pasty saint. A Cornish, don't say that for Cornish <laughs> listeners. Um, actually, a bit more actually, because I do think this um, this Middle Cornish play is really interesting. So it was written possibly in the second half of the 15th century. It has over 4,000 lines. And as I said, it was in Cornwall in this place called Camborne, um, which has St. Maria Sec as their patron. It was rediscovered in the 1860s. Actually, St. Um, Maria Sec was of Breton origin and the play presents his career from his early education in Brittany and his arrival into Cornwall. And he has like various miracles, classic, um, and then he returns to Brittany, he becomes the Bishop of Vannes, and eventually dies a Christian death. Actually, this is a really interesting point in terms of the length of the saints' plays. The St. Mary Sec play is divided into two sections, and each of these sections represents one day's performance. So it's a whole day. Very long plays um, we're talking about here. Um, and we've got rhyme diverse uh, divided into stanzas. And the stage directions for St. Um, Maria Sec are in Latin and Cornish, with further directions added in English. And there's diagrams in the manuscript giving stage plans for each day's performance. Wow. Mm-hmm. So it's so we have... so Blimey, so basically two days of performance. Two days of performance. It's like a mini like festival. And I mean, this is in Camborne, Cornwall, and I know we've talked about London, but mm. the, the, the range of places where... Miracle plays were performed as huge. We've got uh, Lincoln, Kent, Norfolk, Dublin, Ireland, Perth in Scotland, Chester, yeah, Norfolk, Oxford, Shropshire, Suffolk, York, Warwickshire. They're kind of everywhere. They're pretty... Um, what's the word for... They're pretty well distributed throughout the UK and Great Britain. Wow. So it, it's not a regional... Unlike um, some of the things we've been looking at, it's, it's not specifically... For, areas regional in a mm. particular way that is really interesting mm. uh it gets my kind of mind going i'd love to experiment with doing more plays where you intentionally know 
you won't have 100% of your audience's attention. There is something so interesting about something like, you know, two days. It's not like the audience would be sitting there in devout silence for two days while watching this. But there is something really interesting about that and performing, knowing that you'll grab them at certain points and other people might be watching another point. And actually as an actor and as a performer, that's a very different skill to what we're taught nowadays. Mm. And that might be very interesting and fun to I do. I get that. Point. I do get yeah. You say that, Mingma, and this isn't going in the episode, but I did start watching a miracle play on YouTube and I could not last five minutes. <laughs> I mean, it's quite funny. Again, this is not going in the... Uh, when I watched the Katakali full mm. performance once, which and Katakali, similarly to Miracle Plays, actually, it is a very interesting parallel now I think about it. Um, Katakali... Uh, their shows are quite often the stories of saints' lives, in effect, yeah. for Hinduism. Um, and my God, they go on for kind of 12 hours. Yeah. And you sit there going, this, this is worthy. This is definitely being worthy. <laughs> <laughs> so that is the main form mm. in terms of its general style point. So Liv, what is our example play this week? So our example play, surprise, surprise, comes from one of four plays. Uh, I've already talked about the, the Cornish one. So the example play this week is the Digby Mary Magdalene play. So, the Digby Mary Magdalene play is named after the Oxford University Bodleian Library manuscript. And it comes from... A catchy, I know. It comes from East Anglia. So, Mary Magdalene had a prominent place in East Anglian culture. So, as we talked about um, some saints being more important in certain regions, Mary Magdalene was very important in East Anglian churches. Um, There are various hagiographs in East Anglia about... Mary Magdalene and yeah she's an important figure in East Anglian culture is what I'm trying to say um so we know that it comes from East Anglia because of the linguistic features in the manuscript itself so there's many inflections specific to Norfolk and the owners of the manuscript linked to East Anglia rather than like a solid we know for sure this was East Anglian Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting point. Uh, it's over two thousand lines, and it was a sole scribe, and who is believed to have been written in the uh, wrote it in the early sixteenth century, and it may be missing as many as thirty lines. Um, and this scribe, he was a bit shit, Mingma, and he made many mistakes. Uh, he confused speakers and speeches. He omitted lines. He put things. He missed words and letters, and he messed up stage directions. Uh, things were out of order. This poor guy is just. Not not done a good job um <laughs> the stage directions are primarily in english but sometimes in latin in brief the play is about mary magdalene the daughter of lord magdalene who inherits her father's castle after his death tempted by the devil she falls into a sinful life in the taverns of jerusalem she meets sorry i got distracted by my spelling <laughs> jesus <laughs> jesus <laughs> Jesus. For, for, for listeners, Liv has managed to spell Jesus wrong. I spelled it, it J E S I S, which is just funny, and it's not even it's not even noticed it as a. Anyway, she meets Jesus and is redeemed. He expels seven demons from her, and then she witnesses his resurrection. She sails across the Mediterranean Sea and converts the pagan king and queen of Marseille. She then lives in. The wilderness, where angels feed her manna, which is like this godly food source from heaven. Um, and she dies and ascends to heaven to live in eternal bliss. Now, that's very basically Mary Magdalene. It doesn't sound too complicated. 
but wait till sight of hand. And if anyone is intrigued by that, you can watch a performance on YouTube um, by the Lords of Misrule. So if you just typed in Lords of Misrule, Digby, Mary Magdalene play, it would come up. I will link it in the show notes. But if anyone is interested to see what it would look like. Um, that is the boy. So that is the story. I mean, it's basically the story of Mary Magdalene. And that's the play. Mm. How long is this one? In t- so it's over 2,000 lines. We know what the kind of playing length is. Pretty long. And the reason I'm saying that is because you're about to see what it involves. And I think you'll get a, a you'll get a you'll get an inkling of the scale of the play. Now we are on to the scoring. We score every theatre style in four separate categories. Sleight of hand, scandal, ripple or riot, and legacy. We give each a score out of ten for each category, leading to a max total of eighty. Finally, we decide whether it deserves a place in the House of Revels, the great and noble hall where only the best of British theatre lives. So, first category, sleight of hand. Here we explore the stagecraft in this theatre style, the props, the tricks, and the trap doors. If you thought miracle players weren't interesting, (laughs) well, first of all, congratulations making that far, and get ready to change your mind. So the first sleight of hand I've put is just the extreme scale um so the Digby play of Mary Magdalene was extreme there are a variety of stage directions demanding a wide variety of playing areas you've got Magdalene's castle you've got Roman Jerusalem you've got heaven and hell um and they don't only move across these theatrical performance spaces they also rise above it and fall from it so you don't have just lateral movement of people you've also got vertical movement of people <laughs> vertical takeoff <laughs> vertical takeoff and i think this quote from teresa coletti's introduction to her version of the digby mary magdalene play really gives uh, a good inkling into the scale of the play so the play is remarkably spectacular it provides for frequent journeying of human and divine messengers sudden appearances and disappearances of jesus on earth and in heaven a cloud that descends from on high to set a pagan temple on fire and seven devils that devoid from mary during the feast at her home of simon the pharisee a float ship crosses the playing space with saintly and regal cargo jesus orders visionary appearances of mary and attendant angels um, the saint is elevated into the clowns for daily feeds with heavenly manner. Um, so this is huge. Like, let's just appreciate the mechanical feats wow. of yes. this play. <laughs> You've got a whole ship crossing. You've got Jesus appearing. You've got angels appearing. You've got a castle. You've got clouds and people going into clouds and coming up from clouds and being fed by angels. Like, it's huge. It is huge, Mingba. Do we have the stage directions saying they are doing this literally? Yeah. I mean, to give you an example, uh, there are 50 characters and 37 locations. Um, So we know that Mary Magdalene, the play of St. Maria Sec, the conversion of St. Paul, would all would have used place and scaffold staging. So a place and scaffold staging is there's an open area called the platea and a group of scaffolds or loca arranged within it. Um, some of these loca in this play, the Mary Magdalene play, would include Magdalene's Castle, the Jerusalem Taverns, Lazarus's Tomb, um, and this would have needed at least 10 scaffolds. So if you kind of think about a large open field... You've got a circle of scaffolds, 
um, kind of like, this is really bad and I shouldn't use this, but you know in Harry Potter when they have the Quidditch mm-hmm. and they've got those like towers? Yeah. Yes. That's how I imagine these little towers, like little towers. And then they suggest that there's the central scaffold of um, Magdalene's castle in the middle and then they the actors move between the different scaffolds. So it's promenading in a way. It's promenade. It's exactly promenading. So mm-hmm. the audience would have been in this primary space, the platea, um, and kind of would have followed the actors around the space mm-hmm. in a promenade fashion, um, in like a dramatic fashion. So it's huge. I mean, 50 characters. And like, it's just huge, Mingma. I think the scale is impressive, for sure. The amount mm. of infrastructure before, like, I was expecting to have all of this kind of Deus Ex Machina kind of stuff to happen yeah. once we actually get to internal theatres. But the amount of stuff, even outside, which they are the feats of infrastructure and of building, mm. is amazing. Um, yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's extreme. That's what I said. I was really, it was, um, I'm not saying miracle plays are a bit dry, but I think when you just hear about them and then I heard this, I was like, oh, okay, so they were big deals. Well, I'm now almost mourning for all of the more whimsical ones which have been destroyed, you know, yeah. just just to hear more. Well, yeah. if you want whimsy, Mingma, <laughs> get <laughs> right. ready. Go on. Uh, also, just quickly, before I move on to the, um, the whimsy element of it, uh, these would have likely been all male casts, and I'd put a sleight of hand here being like, you know, the exploitation of gender roles for dramatic effect and men playing female roles might make homoerotic jokes in scenes of heterosexual wooing, like, so I think that's there as well, like, modern day kind of improving like oh i'm playing a woman wink wink to the audience yeah that's one thing mm. so i think that's worth noting as well but that's a little bit of a tangent but i think this extreme extremity of the scale um but talking about whimsy so we've got the general as as we mentioned these plays were um often celebrated on the day of the saint the feast of the saint so for example in perth in scotland the yearly play of saint obart the patron saint of boxers or bakers um was celebrated on the 10th of december on a procession with torches by a band of musicians one of the performers impersonated the devil an all ward masquerade dress check this out a horse was led in the procession with shoes, with its shoes enclosed in men's shoes. So a horse was walked in a procession wearing men's shoes. I do not understand, <laughs> but I am for it. I mean, this just changed. I cannot imagine a horse like wearing men's shoes. I'm imagining children wearing oversized shoes, but a horse in actual men's shoes. I'm trying to work out what the term for that would be. You know, is, is there a particular? Do we have like a modern day? We don't at all, but it's a, it's dragging, but it's animal dragging. I don't know. It's a... yeah. It's like why? Why would you? How would they keep them on their feet? Like <laughs> that is, is the that problem. problem. That uh, is the problem. So, so we've had we've had fish on on um, walking uh, sticks, and now we've got the horses in shoes. We're doing well with the animal <laughs> horses in shoes, and we have had uh, barking dogs. Stage dogs. We've had stage dogs. Yeah, so real kind of animal mm. the- theatre at the moment. And herrings being pulled along in the Goliards episode of... Uh... That was what I was saying. Herring, yeah, fish on walking sticks. <gasps> that makes sense, because when you said fish on walking sticks, I was, for some reason, imagining the other way around, that the fish were, like, using the walking sticks as stilts, and I was really <laughs> confused. Every time we think about that, I think about the whole, um, in uh, Alice in Wonderland, mm. uh, there's uh, the moment where she meets the codfish in a wig. Do you remember? Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. I just keep on having that image. Um, 
Yeah, and we also have um, Master Donkey. He whoring. Oh yes, we also have that. So we have lots of animals. We don't really use. We do actually yeah. use animals quite a lot nowadays. Actually, when you think about it, but we don't. But not really, really, not in the same way. Not in yeah. theatre. Not in theatrical. I mean, you bring out the donkey. If you... I mean, not even in film anymore because everyone does it with CGI yeah. now. I mean, war horse, but that's not even a real horse. You know, spoiler alert: it's no. not a real horse. Um, and the last thing for um, sleight of hand, I've got his costume. I mean. We have Jeffrey of Dunstable using the copes and then burning them. Um, not on purpose. Um, we've got men dressing as women. Penance becoming a monk. Penance becoming a He acts. Yeah. A fire broke out in his house and destroyed his possession. So he was like, I will become a monk. Um, to be fair, that sounds far... I like that side of the story. Rather than it being in uh, penance to the monks, he will then devote his life. It's more like, mate, I've got nowhere else to go. I've now. lost all my possessions. Well. I'm basically a monk already. I might as well just join the order. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, like... Tell me they didn't have good costumes. Tell me they didn't have killer costumes with this extreme, you know. I mean, if they have that, so I'm I'm very much imagining this enormous kind of. If you're if we're using the Quidditch Stadium yeah. idea, uh, I just think it's it's their equivalent of rock concerts. Yeah, you have loads of different stages and things going on at the different stages, and like a whole lot of kind of like pyrotechnics with and... people walking around and kind of following the actors and yeah, it's Glastonbury guys. It's Glastonbury. 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 <laughs> uh, no, that's a that's pretty much it for sleight of hand which is is spoiler alert is the best it gets in <laughs> out of the categories <laughs> for <laughs> miracle plays I, I think this is this is kind of like the traditional sleight of hand that we were thinking of when we started sleight of hand i think this is big i think it's it's good i think so too um in terms of scoring then um what are you thinking <laughs> what are you thinking because you try and tell me that horses in men's shoes is not going high, then... I think it's an eight. Mm, yeah. I think it... I mean, just the sheer scale of it and the range of performances kind of... No, not the range of performances everywhere, but... Actually, I might go for a nine. I think, actually, it is kind of a... <sighs> Ming I mean... Just for the sheer scale and, and the audacity and the outdoorsy mm. pirate, yeah. Ah, oh, and also the stuff which we do, don't know. I'll give points for that. Exactly. Like if this is something we do know, and this was allowed by the uh, by the Protestants because it was considered devout. What? I mean, was that? I'm sure if there was a play about Margaret, there would have been a dragon. Yeah, and fire. There would have been fire coming at some point, and yes, exactly. Um, so I I like your nine. I'm going to be a little bit um, harsher and give an eight because mm-hmm. I think I think I think we can do better even than horses in men's shoes. To be honest, scandal. Was there any juicy gossip, Liv? Any kind of great things on stage or off? I really couldn't find anything. I mean, you could argue that men dressing up as women and being in romantic scenes were scandalous, but like. It's not that really, because like even if we're saying modern doing it by today's standards, that's not that standard, you know. That's We've all seen pantos. It's yeah. only kind of the fifties where things got nineteen fifties. I mean, when things got in very a binary with marketing mm. with this kind of stuff. There was you know, look at all of the kind of the French courts and this kind of thing. So, I don't think it's so scandalous the idea of men wearing costumes. <laughs> no. At, all at this point, um, I mean, the only bit of scandal I could think of or that I could find was the idea of um, like. A more fictitious accounts of saints lives rather than strictly the skip scriptures but then that was quite commonplace that people were kind of 
you know, so I don't, oh, sorry, I dropped my pencil. I don't really think the scandal score is pretty much non-existent, Mingma. Mm. 0.5. Really upsets me. Like, if that, I'm giving it 0.25 because, <laughs> no, no, I will give it 0.5 because, I'm sorry, if you have a cast of 50, someone is falling out with someone else. There is yeah, some... Someone's shagging in the background and there's, yeah, there's something going on. You've got 50 men and potentially 50 of their lovers, so... Yeah. I would give it a 0.5, but it's really sleight of hand is where it's at today with uh, nice. Miracle Plays, so... Ripple or riot? Here is where we judge whether this style caused a ripple or a riot. How socially controversial was its existence and content? Did it spark wider conversations? Okay, so there is some evidence that people didn't like Miracle Plays. Um, I think it's, as we keep talking about, the Reformation. And they mostly disappeared, so we know that the Protestant church didn't like them. But in 1303, Robert Manning of Brunn includes miracle plays among many other manifestations of worldly error in his poem Handling Sign. And since, and he goes out of his way to exclude plays of nativity and resurrection within the church. So it's clearly that he doesn't object to um, religious plays in general, but the kind of unauthorised presentation of sacred matter. So he it's clearly that he's got an issue with miracle plays rather than religious plays. Um, the main uh, criticism comes in the treatise of miraculous playing, which I think I'm going to... I love the spelling of the word playing. So it's P-L-E-Y-I-N-G-E, which I just think feels so much nicer than the normal spelling. So the treatise was um, written by a religious reformer in the 15th century and condemned religious dramas, aka pretty much all dramas then, um, and was concerned that these plays made a mockery of the church and of God and the story of Jesus. Um, and his central objection was, the miracles of Christ and his saints had a sincere significance, we are certain, so nobody should use these miracles and the works of Christ which were fulfilled for our benefit in jest and play. I thought for a second you were actually translating it as you burned. I was like, live you are fluent in Middle <laughs> English to be able to... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry to disappoint me though. Uh, this has been translated previously for me. I didn't even translate it. Um, yeah, yeah. Interestingly, in the um, the treatise or the treatise, treatise however you treatise, um, he also kind of, as like every great debater, gives counter arguments to his point. So he lists all the reasons why someone might think of the miracles being positive things and sort of counteracts them. Mm. So we do know that people liked miracle plays and the reasons for this are that the plays are an aid to worship, that they convert audiences from worldliness to truth faith, mm -hmm. they inspire true compassion, they offer a means to instruct people whom the church would otherwise be unable to reach, that they are a more virtuous form of entertainment than any other forms of entertainment available for people at the time and that they are an effective way to convey the Christian message to people who are unable to read. I mean, what this is really kind of coming across to me is just how theatrical this particular style is. Because quite often we've mm. had difficulty separating just general culture and theatre in terms of where where is the mm. boundary and how much is this interspersing. This is showing that there is such a multitude of different ways that people were telling and performing stories of religion. Mm. That you know, Religion was the cultural bit and there are all these different offshoots of different theatrical forms of how they then told the stories. This one particularly had more of a separation from the actual church um, 
in terms of it being kind of the days, you know, out just the fact that it's outdoors mm. as well, not in a church, the fact that you've got such a large amount of people involved in them. But I think it's worth noting that everyone loved saints at this time. So I don't really think a play about saints, I think it would have appealed to people rather than um, not appeal to people in general, in terms of the general populace. Yeah. And like we talked about, and actually, do you know, no, actually this is an interesting point. Sorry, I'm going on one, mm-hmm. but previous styles, we've actually talked quite a lot about court and also with Goliards, they were very much for kind of a style for learned people and people who'd had an education, whereas everyone knew about saints and everyone had, well, not necessarily everyone, but Christians had a connection with saints and they had saints in their homes. And it was very much a, as we say, they're kind of like celebrities. Mm. So from all walks of life, whether you were noble or whether you were a peasant or whether you were, a, you know, so actually this is pretty widespread in terms of its appeal. Whereas I'm not saying courtly love isn't widespread, <laughs> um, but it is a little bit more specific to um, to uh, to everyone. Mm. Oh, it's difficult because it's kind of. I think I might just have to give it a middle of the road five mm. because it's like that's pulling in both directions. So we have the co- the controversy of the church and how controversial was it for the church and all the rest of it. But we also have the wider conversation of. Um, I mean, it could be controversial as well because they're telling more stories of the church and there was a whole, I'm not sure if it was at this time, and again, this time, it was 300 years, but around whether everyone should know the stories, whether the priest should be the one who's delivering all the information, which is a power Mm. struggle. And so obviously saints' lives, miracle plays would be against that power struggle because it'd be a different way of telling the story for people. But then on the other side, we also have... um, this uh people taking hold of the of the conversation and, t- and taking this and, and using it for their own thing so it's like there are two different ways that it could be a ripple or riot but they're mm. pulling in different directions yeah does that make sense in my head? i'm with yeah. you so yeah you you give it an average score of yes. five if that makes sense yeah <laughs> um i'm 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 with you because i think I think it's clear that there was some controversy over the miracle plays, mm. but I think considering just how many there were mm. um, that we know about con- compared to, you know, other things. Yeah. And also, if you look at, I know we're not talking about this, if we look at in France, when in the 14th century they wrote 40 plays about the Virgin Mary, <laughs> I mean, we've not written 40 plays about, I mean, people have probably written 40 plays about coronavirus. Um, but, <laughs> you know... Yes. Yeah, that's happening. Um, oh, God, that's going to be Edinburgh Fringe next year. Oh, but the, like everyone's like, don't do it because no one wants to go and see a play about coronavirus. Like, no, no one wants to. Like, no one wants to actually go and see a play about Brexit or Donald Trump. We don't want to see it. We've lived it. We no. don't need to do it. Um, no. Yeah. You have to make it the crucible. Uh, make it subtle. And then we're like, oh, it's actually about McCarthyism. Whoa. <gasps> GCSE drama. Yeah. yeah. So... Are we on to legacy? Uh, we are on... Oh, no, I need to give it a score. So you gave them five for Ripple or Riot. I'm going to give them a four because... Why am I being more generous than normal? <laughs> I think I'm just a bit biased about Saints' lives because I think I'm, I'm so connecting to Goliards last week that I'm just like, why aren't you Goliards? Why aren't you cool? Or you have a horses with men's shoes and large cars. I mean, that's quite cool. That is Come cool. On. I know it's cool, Mingma. Um... And like they've got stadiums, they've got enormous scaffolding, and they've got casts of fifty. Co- I mean, I gave it an eight. I gave it an eight. I just, <laughs> I'm like, okay, give me more. 
Give me more, give me more. All right. So, legacy. How has this theatre style influenced the future? Um, obviously, of course, we have the Reformation, which, of course, put a stop to the performance of miracle plays. Weep, weep, weep. Um, it also stopped mystery plays, but that's coming up in a future episode. Um, so perhaps they would have had a bigger influence. In terms of influence on the future, I mean... You could argue that this idea of promenade and having audience members following actors round a, a space is an origin of immersive interactive theatre, but I think that's pushing it, to be honest, mm -hmm. because I don't think Punch Drunk are going, do you know what, mates? Let's do a miracle play and have yeah. act. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I think it's just um, how theatre has evolved. Yes, I um, do. I do hear it. I, I mean, you could say St. Joan, the mm. George Bernard Shaw play, but I mean... It's a miracle play because it's a play, but it's also just a play about a saint. So, I think we could probably make an argument for the legacy of saints as a whole thing, of the belief in saints and of the stories of saints. Mm. And it was clearly a big enough legacy that there had to be an, a massive put down. But then again, I'm also fishing. For stuff I think now. yeah, if you, you know, there was an intentional suppression. If you think about saints and actually how many things, I mean, I live on a street named after a saint and mm. like i always forget and i went to like schools named after saints and like you've got like even when we talked about um you know valentine's day coming up we've got saint valentine saint stephen mm. saint george santa claus santa claus yeah saint nick you've mm. got mary the virgins and you know you've got tons of saints everywhere i mean how many primary schools are called like <laughs> are named after saints um, so, I mean, the saints in general have a big influence and they've been pretty consistently popular, but miracle plays? I'm sure that actually they also went into passion plays, which are still performed nowadays yeah. and that kind of stuff. Um, so why am I the one who's justifying that? This is your research. This shows how unbiased we are and how <laughs> professional we are that we do not have <laughs> an opinion it's which way <laughs> i just think yeah i think i'm gonna give it a two because i think that this scaffolding and all of this kind of enormous mechanisms almost certainly went into mystery and then he head into that cycle mm. headed into that cycle and i also think the passion plays and the promenading of that kind of thing will have had an influence and for saints yeah i think i'm gonna join you on a two because i'm aware that i'm being a little bitch about this one <laughs> So I'm trying to even myself out. I love the way that you just got such an intense dislike of this one style. I just, I'm. it's not even, I think it's just, I was just, and I don't know why I did it because it's not that dissimilar to other things that I've researched. And it does have fun elements. I'm just like, okay, we get it, get it. Yeah. It's about saints. Um, no, I think, and to be fair, I think, you know, I'm fully expecting I've been shading on this and someone's going to email in and say, actually, mate, have you looked at this play and it's heavily influenced by a miracle play? Yeah. And they were performed for such a long period of time that I'm sure they did have an influence, you know. I mean, they had a legacy at... for 300 years. Yeah, <laughs> so we're looking at the 12th, early 12th century to late 15th, 16th century. Mm. So they must have had influenced someone to do something. At some point. Yes, exactly. What's our total score? Uh, our total score is 31. 
31 out of 80. So that is not amongst our top scorers of recent uh, days. But, mm. you know, that isn't the only question. Uh, no. Things can transcend uh, the base ideas of scandals and of uh, sleight of hand. Does this theatre style deserve to join the illustrious, the esteemed, the House of Revels? And before you say anything, I'm almost tempted to say yes just to piss you off at this oh, point. Oh, Mingma, give me one good reason. <laughs> be one good reason. Cast of 50 and 10 scaffolds to hold it. Yes, that is fun, but it's also almost excessive. Do you know what I mean? It almost swings back round to makes me hate it even more. No. I know I'm joking about it, but I, I don't think it does quite make it. I mean, I like... Well, I'd be interested to research, actually. I'm kicking myself that I do that. I didn't do it, was... Um, what other plays were like at the time and if they used this um, place and scaffold staging mm. and if this place and scaffold staging is unique to Miracle Plays because I don't think it is. Okay. And do you think it's do you think it's temporary or permanent or do you think it's that they have a certain amount mm. which they deconstruct and reconstruct every year? Or Well, I would suspect that it must be quite costly to do. Mm. I, I would, I don't know, I mean, I'm making an educated guess here, is I would say it would be something that they deconstruct and reconstruct every year rather than um, just mm. keeping it out in the elements. Um, yeah. The Cornish Miracle Play was mm-hmm. performed in the round. In my heart of hearts, I agree, it, prob- it probably should not join the House of Rebels. However... I think there's more to it than you're allowing. I think it. I think <laughs> I'm being harsh. No, I know I'm being harsh, but I think compared to mystery plays, which I have done some research on, which are coming up. All right, um, so 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 we'll hold our horses for hold mystery our horses and, for and mystery. Have... I think and morality. Oh yes, yeah, miracle mystery and morality. Mm. There are yeah, there are three in this kind of trilogy. Well known tri yes, um, <laughs> the theatrical history. Yeah. Fab. Alas. Miracle Plays do not join the House of Revels. If you enjoyed this episode, you can rate and review us and press subscribe to stay up to date with all the latest episodes. Have you got a nugget about Miracle Plays that you'd like to share? I would be particularly interested to hear from you if you've got anything interesting to say. Um, Yes, please change her mind. It's been really dull listening to The Prejudice. Please change my mind. On Twitter, Facebook and youtube we are house of revels and on instagram we are house of revels with underscores or you know be old school and drop us an email at house of revels podcast at gmail.com very important that you put that podcast in that gmail email just saying there, house of revels podcast at gmail.com otherwise you will email a random woman like i did and accidentally sent my notes to her so did you get a reply i didn't i was just like because i was sharing it with you and i was like Who's Priyanka? And I was like, oh no. <laughs> Send it to me. See you next time. Bye bye. Bye. Don't know why I waved, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not leaving. Please do not join the House of Ever. Uh, uh, <laughs>